The second set of cases was presented to Dr. Mark Pegram, beginning with a young woman with HER2 positive disease, presented by Dr. Alan Astral. The patient is 44 years old. She's a nurse. She has a previous history of DCIS, and then presented with a 1.7 centimeter grade 2 infiltrating ductal carcinoma. It was 5% ER positive, PR negative. HER2 was positive with a fish of 5.5. She was no negative. So Mark, how would you be thinking through this case? This is a T1C lesion. If you look at the data that was presented at San Antonio from the British Columbia group, they looked retrospectively at cases from their whole region and looked at these node-negative T1A through C HER2 positive cases. And basically, these patients have a recurrence risk at 10 years that square into the territory where you consider systemic adjuvant cytotoxic chemotherapy. And, you know, it's surprising how high the relapse risk is when HER2 is amplified overexpressed. Peter Ravden has done a thorough review of the literature that I've seen him present in a meeting in Los Angeles some years ago. And basically, the risk of relapse and death is about one and a half to two times higher for HER2-positive early-stage disease than HER2-negative. So a T1C lesion based on the Vancouver data would put this squarely into the 20% plus range risk of recurrence, which merits consideration of systemic adjuvant therapy. Because the fish is amplified, a trastuzumab-based regimen would make the most sense. I would be thinking something of a minimalist chemotherapy backbone, since it's node negative and T1 disease. So something like TC times 4 with Herceptin would be reasonable but probably even TCH times six, if you wanted, could be a reasonable choice. I would probably shy away from an anthracycline-based regimen with trastuzumab and an otherwise healthy young individual to mitigate long-term complications from anthracyclines. Are there situations with HER2-positive disease right now where you are recommending anthracyclines? Not really. It's a contentious issue, but if you look critically at the BCRG006 data, which attested head-on an anthracycline-based trastuzumab regimen, ACTH, versus TCH, even though that study was not powered for non-inferiority, there were indeed more than 1,000 patients per arm. So if there were any differences that were clinically significant, we probably would have uncovered them given that large sample size. And the difference, the absolute difference between years two and four was something like 1%, and there was no statistically significant difference between ACTH and TCH. And so there was clearly less cardiotoxicity in the TCH arm, so therefore it has a higher therapeutic index, arguably. Alan, what happened with this patient? So it clearly thought she needed chemotherapy plus trastuzumab, and the issue was which regimen. And this came up The BCIRG data had been presented, but not the update. Right, not the second intermediate. Not the second time. So just the first data had been presented. Okay. And she'd actually seen one oncologist who had suggested TCH. And sort of I batted it back and forth, and I talked it over with her. And I thought since the BCIRG data was not mature, and it wasn't a tiny cancer, it wasn't less than a centimeter, And she is young, and her risk of cardiac toxicity, although real, is small at age 44, and she had no cardiovascular risk factors. I recommended ACTH, and that's what I did. How did she do? 
She's done fine. I mean, as fine as you can do with, you know, a fairly toxic regimen. She's just recently completed her Herceptin. She's really pleased about that. Her hair is growing back. She's gone back to work. How's she doing cardiac-wise? No cardiac problems. I've gotten a cardiac echo every three months and no decrement in cardiac function. Now, her ER was 5. 5%, that's right. That was considered positive or negative by that lab? You know, it's interesting. I called the pathologist. So I said, well, ER 5%, is this positive or negative? And he said to me, well, that's really up to you. (laughs) (laughs) I've discussed this with the patient also. Should I recommend hormonal treatment with a 5% ER positivity? And right now, and I'm interested in hearing what other people have to say, my answer right now is no, because I believe that the benefit to either an aromatase inhibitor or tamoxifen would be quite small. It would be an AI with an LHRH agonist. She's premenopausal? Right. She was premenopausal. She stopped so having her period? She stopped having a period, right. But you're correct, yes. At this point, I would either have to give her tamoxifen mm-hmm. or, yes, Zolodex plus an AI, and then perhaps later, just the AI alone. But, but she's but chemically postmenopausal, or you haven't checked I haven't checked that. I haven't checked that because I've kind of made the decision that the benefit to any kind of hormone maneuver will be outweighed by the risk in this case. Do you agree or disagree, Mark? This is a tough situation. This is a case where, you know, you'd really want to look at the immunostain yourself at a tumor board and see if you're convinced at all that these are really positive cells or, you know, have it restained, send it off to someone who really does quality work and have them make the call. So I think I would get a second pathology opinion in a case that's this close on the fence. Do you think that in the future... Of course, I won't tell my pathologist that we're going to send this off to someone who really does quality work. (laughs) Well, I don't mean it that way, but I mean, I think it's reasonable. Yeah, when I work with excellent pathologists, they recommend getting their colleagues to take a look at things. So it's no slight at all to anyone, but it's reasonable when you get difficult situations like this to try to come up with a tiebreaker. Mark, in the last few months now, we're seeing quantitative ER being reported on the Oncotype test now. Where do you think things are going to be heading in terms of measurement of ER? Are we moving towards RT-PCR? Would there be any point in sending this tumor for Oncotype to see the quantitative ER? That would be a really expensive way to measure ER transcript, unfortunately. I wish they had an itemized checklist so you could just pick the genes that you wanted to measure, and then it might be of some utility. Certainly, there's concordance between ER transcript and ER protein expression based on some of the work done at Genomic Health. The transcript doesn't tell you all the information that something at the protein level might. For example, localization of the protein is important, and transcript doesn't give you that information. There are post-translational modifications of the estrogen receptor, which we don't routinely measure in the clinic, but we measure them in the laboratory, and that data isn't captured with transcript either. But I think it could be a useful adjunct if it were practical right now, since you have to get the whole Oncotype DX test to get that answer, it's probably cost prohibitive. There has been sort of a working way people have approached this by saying, if there's any ER, use hormone therapy. But I think Alan's thought about, let's think about the downside and the upside. This is HER2 positive. How much less, or would we expect less out of hormones just because it's HER2 positive? I absolutely believe that that's true. Godfrey Konechny and I published a paper in the JNCI three or four years ago looking quantitatively at HER2 gene copy number versus quantitative ER using the radioligand binding assay in a cohort of 954 primary breast cancers. And there is a striking, statistically significant inverse correlation between 
Hertu copy number and relative ER expression. In other words, somebody like this who's strongly Hertu amplified, if they have ER, you can guarantee that it'll be low ER compared to a HER2 negative population that has significantly higher ER. Therefore, since we know that the probability of response to any endocrine manipulation is directly proportional to the amount of the ER target, ergo HER2 positive ER cases are going to be relatively less sensitive to endocrine therapy. So you're probably right that the real punch for this case is going to be the trastuzumab, not steroid hormone manipulation. And we could have a balanced discussion whether or not the toxicity of, let's say, tamoxifen, which is not without toxicity. I mean, there are serious thromboembolic complications, there are second malignancies, etc. So you could have a serious conversation whether the small theoretical benefit of tamoxifen in a HER2-positive patient would be offset by the toxicity of the drug, and it may well be in this case. I want to get your take on two questions about this case and hear how it's playing out with you and your patients. One is the issue of selection of chemo in this situation with HER2-positive disease, and also is management of the patient, who premenopausal woman who stops menstruating, who has, let's say, ER-positive, call her ER-positive. Let me ask you, Alan, if this woman were to present with you today, would you still use an anthracycline? It's a tough one. If she is 64, definitely no. Definitely no. At 44, probably no. And I'm going to guess if she had node positive or your node positive If patient? she's node positive, node positive, three, three positive nodes, I think I'd use an anthracycline. Bob? Well, let me preface my remarks by saying that I'm from Southern California, and I participated in BCIRG 006, and I was an early adopter of TCH. And I've actually given up anthracyclines pretty much across the board, and having gotten away from anthracyclines, I tend to use TC. In a case like this, of course, it would be the different regimen of TCH. But getting away from anthracyclines makes it a little bit easier, I think, to treat women all pretty much the same, except for the HER2 issue. Mark, even the second data set that was presented by the BCRG, as you said, was called interim. Yes. And there are people who say, well, we need to wait for the next one. Do we? It's not unreasonable, to be honest. I think it's gratifying to hear from people in practice, that they're relatively conservative and wait for peer-reviewed publication of the data, which hasn't happened yet for 006, wait for the final analysis. You could even ask to wait for a confirmatory trial, and all those things are reasonable requests for practicing clinicians to make a sea change in practice habits. That's okay. By the same token, since we participated in the study, we're more comfortable with it, we're familiar with the data. We've had discussions with the statisticians, and we've been reassured that it's unlikely that this current trend is going to be reversed by the time the final analysis occurs because there's so many events already that have accumulated. So I think I have confidence in that data set, and I think the final analysis, when it becomes available, it's event-driven, so it'll happen sometime soon, no doubt. If you want to wait for that and wait for the publication of it, I think that's reasonable before making a complete change in practice. Just a quick question. The difference between taxol carbo or taxane carbo and taxane cytoxin, TC, TCY, is there a difference? Because those two agents have different toxicities, and we may be getting to a point where we're choosing toxicity issues as opposed to efficacy issues, because I think the whole antracycline, and although I have started switching TC versus AC, really comes down to me as how much cardiac disease and other issues am I going to get into long-term surviving. Number two, the issue that I see here also is supporting that she's 44 years old. 
And so we are getting much more sensitive to talking about long-term, although she's a never been married, never been involved in the whole issue of prevention. She's going to come to you next and say, okay, thanks, Alan. I'm now in remission. I'm a nurse. What homeopathic medicine do I buy from the nutrition store? What do I do to lower my risk for getting another recurrence? So I'd like to know what the academicians think. So let's start with the first issue about which C to use if you're going to use TC. There's no head-to-head comparative data from the clinic yet. In the laboratory, 4-hydroxycyclophosphamide was synergistic with trastuzumab, as was carboplatin. So from a theoretical point of view, I would not have any conflict at all in making a substitution. Moreover, if you look at the BCRG007 trial, which was TH versus TCH carbo in first-line metastatic disease, there was no difference in that study. It was relatively maybe underpowered a little bit. But still, there was really no convincing addition of carboplatin to the efficacy of that regimen. So maybe we don't need any C with trastuzumab. That could be another argument to make. But short of that extreme possibility, substituting cytoxan theoretically would make no concern to me. Moreover, if you consider a HERA-style approach, you could give four cycles of TC followed by trastuzumab. We know that that approach works. We know that it works in no negative patients in the HERA trial using that strategy, sequential. Having said that, the U.S. Oncology Group now has a data set of TCH cytoxan given concurrently and haven't had any problems that I've heard of. So I think that that's probably a safe regimen. Bonnie? I'd be interested to hear regarding the Herceptin. If this woman were very holistic and declined chemotherapy, would you still offer her adjuvant Herceptin alone? Well, if they refused it outright, I for sure would recommend trastuzumab. I mean, remember, all of the adjuvant trials, except one, have shown that the hazard rate for adjuvant trastuzumab is around 0.5 above and beyond the best available chemotherapy. And that's even if you give it after the chemotherapy in the European HERA style. So I would imagine that single-agent trastuzumab would still have measurable efficacy even in the absence of chemotherapy, you know, as does endocrine therapy for ER-positive disease. I think that paradigm probably holds for her two positive and her two targeted agents as well. Although I think you'd have to tell a patient we don't really have adjuvant data of trastuzumab alone. We probably never will get it, I guess. The closest thing that we'll have to it in the short term is the ongoing CLGB study of weekly low-dose paclitaxel for 12 weeks with trastuzumab given to patients with low-risk small tumors. But there is no non-chemo adjuvant study currently. 